Welcome back to Buddhist Solutions for Life's Problems, where we talk about how to apply SGI Nichiren Buddhism to the problems of daily life. I'm Jihee Jolly. Today's is an exciting episode because we're talking about something so universal, so inspiring, and so filled with pain, the creative process. Whether you're an artist or creator of any kind, professional or just passionate, this episode is for you. Because what we're discussing today is the creative life force, an ability that lies deep within the life of every person and often remains there forever if we don't summon the courage to bring it out. I'm sure the artists who are listening are all too familiar with the problems that come from creating anything, for example, perfectionism, arrogance, and the desire to quit. And today we'll discuss where these problems come from and how to overcome them. But even before we do that, I invite each of you to imagine yourself as an artist for the rest of our time together today. Because no matter what your profession is, every day you are creating life in small and big ways, and that too requires a creative life force. Let's begin with why we should pursue art in all its many forms. I think it was my sophomore year, and I remember feeling so terrified that these people were going to watch me. And I had performed before, but for some reason this fear came up and I was noticing it. And I remember saying to myself, oh, yeah, this is definitely something I want to continue to do throughout my life because nothing else gives me that much fear. This is Niall Ruff, a 27-year-old professional dancer with the Dayton Contemporary Dance Company in Ohio, who grew up Buddhist like me. I asked her why she chose to become a dancer, and her answer was because nothing else gives her as much fear. Funnily enough, I could deeply relate to her because fear is the reason I became a writer and journalist, and growing up Buddhist, we both agreed, essentially means being told over and over again how much immense potential is in your life if you have the courage to tap into it. Neither of us could settle for something easier than the art which scared us. Chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo became a crucial part of Niall's daily life in college when self-doubt emerged in full force. I went to an art school and um, it was a PWI school and I had just come from uh, a predominantly black institution for high school. So I was struggling with my identity and feeling like I was good enough. And that's when I started to chant Nam Myoho Renge Kyo on a regular basis and do gongyo, like morning and evening gongyo, um, on a regular basis to help build my self-esteem. And I got connected to the local SGI community and they just continuously reinforced my value. Niall has been dancing since she was three years old and her mom enrolled her in West African dance classes in DC, then ballet and modern. After attending dance conservatory for college, she went to the Ailey School on scholarship and then joined dance companies in Chicago, Pittsburgh, and now Ohio. But before we hear more from her, let's go back to the question, why should we pursue art? Whether or not you're a professional artist, musician, dancer, or creator, the inner transformation required to create something from the depths of your life is the same transformation that allows us to live the most wonderful, fulfilled, contributive lives, whoever we are, wherever we might be. 
In this sense, creativity is simply the process of realizing your unique purpose in this world, and if our life is art, creating it is something we should all proactively do. Here is the definition of creativity we're going to go by today. In a university speech titled The Flowering of a Creative Life Force, Buddhist philosopher and my mentor Daisaku Ikeda once wrote, Never for an instant forget the effort to renew your life, to build yourself anew. Creativity means to push open the heavy groaning doorway of life itself. This is not an easy task. Indeed, it may be the most severely challenging struggle there is. For opening the door to your own life is in the end more difficult than opening the door to all the mysteries of the universe. What I love most about this definition is that the creation of anything requires us to pull from deep within ourselves. You may be a musician composing a song, a dancer like Niall auditioning for a role you have to bring to life, or maybe you're a mother creating a daily homeschool routine for your child in the middle of a pandemic, or a friend racking your brain on how to encourage another person not to give up and feel hope. The challenges of creating art relate to all these situations and more because creativity is the process of calling forth your most authentic self over and over again amidst the opposing forces of self-doubt, judgment, inertia, exhaustion, and even the arrogance that can accompany great success. So we're going to talk to a few artists today and explore three practical solutions to help you develop your own creative life force using Buddhist practice. The first is to set concrete goals and spare no effort on a daily basis to achieve them. Second, be willing to look honestly at yourself along the way. And we have two special guests, Wayne Shorter and Esperanza Spalding, to explain this one. And finally, third, connect and stay connected to your heart, because that's where the magic comes from. For our first solution, let's get back to Niall. She chose dance because she loved it and it scared her, and she chose Buddhism because it helped her conquer fear. Here's an example of putting effort into practice that she shared with me when her company did a performance of a historic dance called Vespers that was created in 1986 by choreographer Ulysses Dove and has since been performed by many companies. So when we were learning it, all the dancers that were learning it were nervous. We were like, wow, we have this piece we have to hold up to. All these people have done it. Are we even going to be able to do it that well? And I got the part in the piece where I have to do two double pirouettes and land in a pitch arabesque, which is like you're standing on one leg, your body's towards the ground, but then the other leg is up in the air and you just hold it. And then you, <laughs> and then you lean off of it and you keep going. And no one is dancing while I'm doing that. And I kept falling out of it. And I knew that I was afraid. I was afraid of falling. I was afraid of messing up. So every time we would rehearse the piece, this fear would come up inside of me. So I started to chant about it, and I just determined that I was going to hit every turn, turn, pitch, no matter what, at every show. And before every show, I chanted at least an hour and determined that everything that the audience was going to see what they needed to see and get what they needed to get from the performance. And then ultimately, I would do that role well and I would land and I would stick the position. 
Based on this determination, Niall put her all into chanting and practicing again and again, and ultimately landed the position at all three performances. The story reminded me of encouragement that Ikeda once shared with a young Japanese dancer who had moved to Paris to pursue her dream of becoming a top ballerina. In the novelized account in The New Human Revolution, he shared, There's absolutely nothing wrong with aiming to be the best, but you need to clarify your goals each step of the way and challenge yourself each day, sparing no effort or pain to achieve them. Dreams and determinations are two different things. If you simply long for what you'd like to be, but fail to work at it with persistence and painstaking diligence, then you're pursuing an empty dream. If you were really resolved to become the best, then you'd already be taking concrete steps and working with all your might in that direction. Success is another name for repeated, unflagging effort. Hopes and dreams alone, without hard work and struggle, only leave you prey to anxiety and frustration as the real situation grows steadily more wretched. You have to consolidate your foundation. Buddhism is the highest form of common sense. Real faith lies in making persistent efforts to improve yourself. Also, if you hope to realize your full potential and establish a core of indestructible happiness, it's vital that you build a firm foundation with faith as your way of life. We can change where we live, but unless we change our inner state of life, nothing will be any different. Buddhism allows us to achieve this inner transformation. For Niall, part of this unflagging effort is challenging her fear before she gets to the studio or stage by chanting every morning. Buddhism has given me the, the tool to break through and be more brave so that I can be the dancer that I am now and that I've wanted to be. And just everything that comes with being an SGI member, like being a youth and, you know, having to take responsibility of maybe standing at the front of the room and speaking to people about a subject you may not feel totally comfortable with or even about a personal story that you're a little nervous to share publicly or in like visiting other youth and like just encouraging them and having to come out of my spirit so that I can help somebody and elevate their life condition. All those tools that Buddhism and this practice has given me, I get to apply to my um, I get to apply to my dancing, especially at auditions. We are asked to give our all so that the people at the front of the room can see a performance in the future. So it really requires you to just come out and be fully present and not have any barriers or hesitations when you are trying to express your creativity or trying to give like your directors what they're looking for. Um, and because I wake up in the morning and I chant Nam Myoho Renge Kyo every day and I actually face what I might be fearful of, by the time I get to work or by the time I get to the studio or the stage, I've already done the battle. It feels like I've already done the work so that I can perform at my capacity. Now let's meet two young musicians in New York City, David Drake and Grady Tesh, for another take on what effort really is. 
I know them both personally and spoke to them in order to understand why they're so passionate about Buddhism, because not only are they incredibly talented musicians, but I've never met two people more passionate or sincere about chanting and sharing Nietzsche and Buddhism with everyone they meet. My dream was that I really wanted to play piano for the people. You know, my dream was that I really wanted to pursue music. And I'm sure, uh, like others, you know, Grady and myself and many others, and at some point it dawned on me that I'm like, oh wow, I love this album, where was it recorded? Oh, New York City, okay. Oh, I love this album, where was it recorded? Oh, New York City, wow, okay. <laughs> I love this album, where was it recorded? Oh wait, New York, and eventually the penny starts to drop that I'm like, there's something going on in New York City. So um, by the time I was, yeah, mid-teens, I'd really, really firmly set my sights on, okay, I'm gonna make this happen. That's David, a pianist, vocalist, and composer who currently leads Dave Drake and the Common Ground and came to New York in 2013 to study music. And this is Grady, a jazz musician and percussionist who plays vibraphone, marimba, and xylophone and also moved to New York City, but from Utah, to pursue music. I asked them both what the biggest struggle of being a musician in New York City is. I can't can't tell you that I just had one struggle and then it was like, all right... (laughs) now I'm good, you know, now I'm, now I'm smooth sailing from now on. I mean, it's every single morning you're just battling your negativity and your ego and your, you know, and the, you know, the voice that's saying, don't do it. And, oh, there's a bunch of other musicians that are just, you know, even better. And, you know, you know like all that stuff. But I think the amazing thing of the Buddhist practice is like, that's part of life. I've experienced that. I do experience that every single morning, you know, wake up just feeling like, oh, oh I should just go back to sleep. Don't even bother. Like, you know. But uh, but I think the amazing thing about the Buddhist practice is that you, like, you gain an understand a recognition of like that's part of my that's like in my life and like I that's not real like that's you know it's BS like that's the illusion. This negativity that Grady is talking about is universal and takes many many forms. As he was talking, I couldn't help but think of one of my favorite books on this subject called The War of Art. Stephen Pressfield likens art to a true war between creativity and an enemy called resistance. Here's how it's defined by Robert McKee in the introduction. Resistance is that destructive force inside human nature that rises whenever we consider a tough, long-term course of action that might do for us or others something that's actually good. In the first half of the book, through a series of tiny chapters, Pressfield gives many examples of how resistance works. It causes us to criticize people who are realizing their own potential because we aren't realizing ours. It makes us procrastinate, make excuses, isolate ourselves, hide, pursue partial goals instead of our true goals, and rationalize away our lack of effort to pursue our true calling. And we make up all kinds of excuses not to pursue our art. Here's a portion titled Resistance and Healing. Remember, the part of us that we imagine needs healing is not the part we create from. That part is far deeper and stronger. The part we create from can't be touched by anything our parents did or society did. That part is unsullied, uncorrupted, soundproof, waterproof, and bulletproof. In fact, the more troubles we've got, the better and richer that part becomes. The part that needs healing is our personal life. Personal life has nothing to do with work. Besides, what better way of healing than to find our center of self-sovereignty? 
Isn't that the whole point of healing? In the second half of the book, Pressfield explains how to combat resistance, which is simply to put in rigorous effort whether you feel like it or not. He distinguishes between amateur and professional artists as those who put in daily effort and those who don't. Professionals dedicate themselves to mastering technique. They don't hesitate to ask for help and they invest wholeheartedly in their work without forgetting that the artistic self is not the work but contains many works and many performances. Though Pressfield is not Buddhist, to me, the whole idea resembled the battle between our inner negativity and inner enlightenment so closely that it felt Buddhist. I think it really comes down to belief in myself. That's really kind of the top and bottom of it. Something that I was kind of reflecting on leading up to this question was for me, you know, what we talk about with fundamental darkness. Um, and if it's okay, I was just rereading it. This is the Sokagakai uh, Dictionary of Buddhism. But it says, fundamental darkness the most deeply rooted illusion inherent in life, said to give rise to all other illusions. Darkness in this sense means the inability to see or recognize the truth, particularly the true nature of one's life. So there's quite a lot there, but I feel like for me, you know, this fundamental darkness shows up in so many ways, so many ways, every single day, every single day. <laughs> and it's so true. It can be like, oh man, you know, there's no way that people care enough about music for me to be able to make a career out of this. You know what I mean? Or it could be like, man, there's this, you know, young kid that's eight years old that's already slaying the keys. You know what I mean? <laughs> and he's eight years old and he's already got a recording contract or something. You know what I mean? Or it could be, oh man, you know, maybe I just didn't meet the right person and therefore I'm never going to make it. You know, oh, if only I'd have got that chance that that guy got. So I feel like, you know, I could give so many examples, but I really feel like it comes down to this um, fundamental point of what our practice calls fundamental darkness. You know, this disbelief, <laughs> not choosing to believe that I have great value. Um, and I'll just end also in this same little bit, which is great from this book. It says from Nietzsche's uh, record of the orally transmitted teachings, it reads, belief is a sharp sword that cuts off fundamental darkness or ignorance. So I want to be using that sword to slay it every single day. In Nichiren's writings, that sword is none other than chanting Nam-myoho-renge-kyo through the good days and the bad. In the same essay on a creative life force, Ikeda continues, The times when I have most intensely felt and experienced the inner reality of creation have been those times when I have thrown myself wholeheartedly into a task, when I have carried through with that task to the very end. At such times, I experience a dramatically expanded sense of self. I can almost hear the joyous yell of victory issuing from the depths of my being. This sense of fulfillment and joy is the crystallization of all of the effort, each drop of sweat, each tear expended to reach that moment. Life's inherent creativity, its dynamic vitality, is brought to the surface only through the strenuous exertions of a life of consistent action. A life of this kind of effort is unmatchable, and perhaps the best example of it could be told through the story of how Grady started practicing Buddhism in the first place. During his second semester of college, while struggling with his mental health, he started looking for inspiration to improve his situation, and so he began reading the biography of one of his heroes, legendary jazz musician Wayne Shorter, 
who has written for and played with Miles Davis, Art Blakey, and countless other artists who define the genre. Actually, the reason I started reading his biography was because of an album that he made that was called um, Without a Net. And there was just something about when I listened to that album, I felt hope. Like, I really felt hope when I listened to that album. I felt like a fighting spirit. You hear struggle in it. And I heard the overcoming of struggle in it. You know, there was, there was a sound and, um, and there's just a way that Wayne plays. When I read the biography, I, you know, really found out that Wayne is, uh, you know, I think there's a reason he has such a deep sound. His, his life has been, you know, uh, him overcoming struggle after struggle um, in this amazing way, really, really beautiful way. In the biography, he found out that Wayne practiced SGI Nichiren Buddhism. So Grady went on YouTube, taught himself to chant Nam-myoho-renge-kyo, and eventually got connected to the SGI. As soon as I started chanting, it was just amazing. I felt this great hope and, and confidence in my life that I, you know, um, was really looking for. And um, the rest is history. The second point I want to share about creativity is a little bit deeper, so I reached out to Wayne himself, as well as Grammy-winning bassist Esperanza Spalding, who's also Buddhist, and with whom Wayne, now in his 80s, is currently writing an opera. In short, they shared that as an artist, you have to be willing to look honestly at yourself, flaws and all, in order to know what you need to work on. This is something that can be extremely difficult to do, especially if you're successful, but really for all of us. Still, it's an important part of the process of opening the heavy door to your own life. Here's a story Wayne shared about the beginning of his Buddhist practice when he left a 40-hour studio session to attend a Buddhist meeting. Like, this was day and night. And this thing about being dedicated to the your art and perfection and making this record uh, recording uh, as, as, as perfect as you can get it and all that stuff. And there was no talk about going home. I told them I had something important to do and I can't stay any longer. And they were just stunned. I was thinking to myself, I've never done anything like this before. On his way there, he wondered if practicing was an interference to his musical obligations. While at the meeting, however, through hearing other Buddhists' experiences with their own careers and chanting, he began to realize that he hadn't been composing music in a while, just performing, and this is something he had to address within his life. And it was difficult to write a song, a music, or compositions, really difficult. And that's the time, uh, Esperanza, when uh, I wrote somewhere around the Three Marias. This is Esperanza sharing how she too uses chanting to uncover what she really needs to see about her own life and work. I think actually one of the most challenging parts of the creative process is releasing the attachment to having a problem to work on. And instead going like, I would like to see honestly what is fundamentally going on so that I can respond and work on that. It's like you can get obsessed with having difficulties and get obsessed with like, it almost becomes addictive, the emotion of, of the angst, the artist's angst or the struggle or the bah. And I think like in our practice talking about that, we use struggle, we use suffering. That can even be twisted to think that 
the suffering and being in struggle and suffering is somehow the work. So sometimes to surrender that and go, instead of spending all my energy in this struggle or in this work trying to overcome or do or figure out, I'm going to go to the Gohonsen and make the commitment to see and to be plugged into the truth of, of myself in relation to what is happening to the environment because the environment is bringing the polishing tools needed for the self. Also, like what Wayne was saying, releasing what our intended outcome is of whatever the struggle is relating to, even releasing that and knowing that that's just a construct too. And that is really hard to do for, for many of us who've invested a lot of um, time and energy and identity and, and you know, placement, purpose, money, even friendships, relationships, to, to truly go and say, I honestly want to see, means you might have to see that you're wrong as hell. If you want to hear more from our conversation, we actually have an exciting new podcast series launching soon, so please stay tuned for that. But for now, let's finish up with the third key point, which is that in addition to continuous effort and courageous honesty, the heart is what matters most. This is something that Grady shared has been his biggest creative challenge and his biggest benefit from chanting. Well, you know, um, there are only 12 notes. Uh, and everyone else, and everyone has the same 12 notes and really every combination of those 12 notes has almost been made. Like, you know, there's not, it's not like there's new chords being invented or something. Um, you know, maybe there is, but make microtonal or something. But I mean, like the one challenge is just getting in front and doing the craft and just getting, you know, I think there was an aspect of just doing, but then the, you know, I think the real challenge, like what you were saying was like the heart and, um, I love this quote from Nietzsche and Daishonin, the heart is, heart is the most important. I think the real challenge is unlocking your heart and being able to, to produce something that feels sincere and genuine and authentic. I would rather just play one note from my heart than anything else. So, um, yeah, that's the challenge. And, and, you know, I think, yeah, of course, my Buddhist practice helps me immensely with that. I mean, maybe one of the biggest benefits of practicing has been, you know, really feeling like I can tap into my heart. Grady's words reminded me of how Wayne describes what he has personally learned from Daisaku Ikeda, who he also views as his mentor, and with whom he and Herbie Hancock published a dialogue a few years ago. Daisaku Ikeda didn't have any of the uh, trappings of, of, uh, of uh, behavior, even though he spoke only Japanese. But his, his behavior was devoid of, of stereo. The sentences he spoke were so simple. I mean, simply formulated. There were no big, heavy words. You know, there was an easy flow of translation going. There was no stuttering and stopping and starting because from Daisaki Keita, his 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 words to the translator were so devoid of affectation, affectationism, and uh, uh, colorful this and colorful that. They, they were colorful, but he would talk about something maybe that had the color that you could already see, not telling you about a color that he can only see and, and describe it to you. 
you know, I, as a, to an artist, you know, our livelihood depends on a culture of appreciation, you know, and um, it, it, it depends on a culture of appreciation within yourself and within others. You can't force people to appreciate, <laughs> you know, this Buddhist practice is so amazing because it's, you know, it goes to the hearts and minds, you know, it, it's, it's something very deep and it's a philosophy and a practice that's dedicated to creating a culture of appreciation. This appreciation begins with appreciating our own lives and the stories only we can tell, whatever our medium might be. And one little anecdote from uh, Duke Ellington that I love from his book, Music is My Mistress, his autobiography. He shares, um, there's this little Q&A section and someone says, oh, you know, what's the favorite piece that you're working on? He says, well, my favorite piece is always the one I'm working on right now. You know, and for me, I was like, oh, wow, okay. That's how I want to live my life. Especially in this age where like a lot of, especially a lot of the dancers are into chakras. I, I, like, I think all that stuff is cool. Um, but then like, I still have these things inside of me that I want to figure more out about. Like, I want to know how much potential I have. I want to know how creative I can be. I want to know how much capacity I have to love and to like generate newness. Like if I've been doing something over and over again. Though he's a Buddhist philosopher and mentor to so many, as an artist, Ikeda is a writer above all, and I found tremendous inspiration in his encouragement about writing. Here's a bit from an essay I recently came across of encouragement he wrote to the youngest artists of all, elementary school children. He explains, Everything in the universe pulses with life. When they are described in writing, that life, which is all too fleeting, continues to live on eternally into the future. Through writing, we can give expression to our thoughts. Those writings can become an enduring treasure, conveying our thoughts to others who read them. For example, writing about how you appreciate your parents is sure to make them happy. Writing about a dear friend can become a beautiful story of friendship. Writing about your impression of a book can make that book a lifelong friend. If you have the courage to pick up your pen, you can write. And when you boldly make a start on writing something, wisdom and creativity will flow forth from within you. If you keep on writing, never giving up, you will eventually become a skilled champion of the pen. Through challenging yourself to develop your writing ability, you can grow as a person and expand your potential. Looking up at the vast sky, put your thoughts into words as you make your life shine brightly. There is something only you can write. There are poems only you can compose because there's a poet inside each of you. So let's review our key points. Unlocking the creativity in your own life requires dedicated, unceasing effort, courageous honesty, and the ability to connect with your own heart in order to connect with those of others. These are qualities that apply to most human efforts to care for others and create just about anything, be it a performance, a piece of writing, or a human relationship. Consider this definition of a Buddha from Ikeda which is one of the most simple but important. When we speak of a Buddha, of someone attaining Buddhahood, 
we mean a person who has developed their individuality to the highest level possible, someone who has realized their fullest potential and undergone inner transformation. In 2016, Wayne Shorter and Herbie Hancock, who's also Buddhist, published an open letter to the next generation of artists, which they begin in part by saying, while it's true that the issues facing the world are complex, the answer to peace is simple. It begins with you. Each of us has a unique mission. We are all pieces in a giant fluid puzzle where the smallest of actions by one puzzle piece profoundly affects each of the others. You matter, your actions matter, your art matters. Then they offer 10 pieces of advice for making art for the world we currently live in. And I'll leave you with this one. Art in any form is a medium for dialogue, which is a powerful tool. It is time for the music world to produce sound stories that ignite dialogue about the mystery of us. When we say the mystery of us, we're talking about reflecting and challenging the fears that prevent us from discovering our unlimited access to the courage inherent in us all. Yes, you are enough. Yes, you matter. Yes, you should keep going. Next time, we'll be talking about Buddhism and mental health, and we also have an exciting new podcast launching, so stay tuned for more information about that. And in the meantime, please leave us a rating or review, and if you have questions or comments, you can email me at podcast at sgi-usa.org.